And as Michael said, eventually we're going to be talking about Ezekiel 36 this morning, but we're going to have to get there first. So let me start by saying I do not have children. Uh, however, I have friends that act like children sometimes, and uh, sometimes that friend is me. So I think I have a, you know, at least a little bit of maybe understanding. So I, I'm told that one of the things with children is uh, like a, a pro-parenting move here, uh, that you're not supposed to like tell them, hey, you have to do this, you do like, or, you know, command them all the time, but rather, you know, give them a choice. Say, hey, you know, I'm not saying you have to eat your broccoli, but if you don't, that you're not getting dinner. Or, you know, I'm not going to say you have to clean your room, but if you don't, there will be serious consequences. It's your choice, though. Uh, and inevitably, uh, when we give people, especially children, a choice, uh, they usually, or at least a lot of times, will make the wrong choice. And then you're like, why did I give you a choice in the first place? And it gets frustrating. So we, we find this kind of conundrum with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So in Deuteronomy 28, uh, God sets before them uh, the blessings and cursings of the law. He says, look, if you follow me, then things are going to be great for you. You're going to have fertile lands. You're going to have you know, you know, blessed kneading bowls and blessed cattle. And it's, it's going to be great. But if you do not follow me, then all of those blessings are going to be reversed. There's going to be cursings. Uh, I'm going to send people, you know, wild beasts and pestilence and plague and invaders. And it's, it's not going to be good for you. Uh, but again, this is, this is their choice. And so we get to chapter 30. And Moses says, look, I've given you a choice. Now make sure you pick the right one. And especially in verse 19 of chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. He says, I'm giving you a choice. Choose life. This is what God wants. This is what Moses wants. Everybody would benefit if the children of Israel would choose life. But we know the story of the children of Israel, that very quickly they start choosing death. And so God sends prophets, and he sends judges, and he even sends you know, kings uh, in many ways. We're supposed to lead the people in the way they're supposed to go, help them to choose life. But the children of Israel kept choosing death. And uh, God sends a number of prophets, and uh, toward the end of the time of Judah, we get the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, his whole ministry, in, in some ways, is telling the people, look, God gave you life and death, choose life. And so this morning, we're just going to take a little bit of time to talk about the ramifications of this choice, life or death, as we look through the book of Ezekiel. So this begins in chapter 3, when Ezekiel is called by the Lord and he is given uh, a message. He is given uh, an, an important thing to share with them. And we see in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16, it says, At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear the word from my mouth, you shall give them the warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, 
and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked of his wicked ways in order to save his life, the wicked person shall die for it, his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he's done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live. Because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. So we get a couple things going on in here. That Ezekiel's message uh, is to tell the people, look, you're in sin, and you need to change. And God tells him, Ezekiel, if I tell you to speak to the people, and you don't, then it's on you when bad things happen. However, uh, and you know that's got ramifications for evangelism, and I'm just going to leave that uh, uh, that bone unchewed today. But uh, for this, he says, look, here's what you got to do. If this is a matter of life and death, you need to tell the people that their sin is going to lead to death. And if they turn from their way, we see in verse 21, then they can be saved. They can have life. He will surely live. And so we see that what God is trying to tell the people is, listen, the same thing that Moses said way back in Deuteronomy, that God is giving them a choice, life and death, and God really, really, really wants them to choose life. We'll see that many times through this book. In Ezekiel chapter 16, when uh, God is looking over his, uh, his people, he's comparing them to a child that he found in the wilderness, and they grew up, and they were terrible. But in their infancy, in Ezekiel 16, verse 6, it says, When I I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. That what God wants for his people is to live. And he keeps telling them, live. I want you to live. Ezekiel 18, we see... Uh, teachings on the ramifications of sin. And we're told in verse 4 of Ezekiel 18, Behold, all souls are mine. The souls of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. And the soul that sins shall die. That we understand here, again, that the consequences of sin are death. But God does not want his people to die. In 18, verse 23 and 24, it says... Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them he shall die. He says, look, I I don't take delight in bringing death on people. But if they keep choosing death, then what choice do I have? It would be unjust of me to overlook their sin. And so God again says at the end of of Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 30, he says, Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, 
Everyone, according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This is what God wants for his people. He says, turn and live. I'm giving you a choice, life and death. Choose life. And yet, what does the house of Israel do? Not that. They choose death. If we turn to chapter 20, chapter 20, uh, verse 9, this is God reflecting on the history of Israel. Uh, And he says, as soon as he brought them out of Israel, or out of Egypt, they started choosing death. In uh, chapter 20, verses 9 through 14, God says, But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out from the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt, and I brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Now we get two important things here. One is that Israel is constantly choosing not life. They keep making the wrong choice. And the second important thing is that we we get introduced here the importance of God's glory. That he says, look, I am acting for the sake of my name. And that is at least part of the reason why we see so much grace given to Israel. Because when they come out of the land of Egypt, that God's name is, is, is... is riding on these people. And uh, as Moses reminds God when they're wandering in the wilderness, that God, if you wipe out your entire nation for their sin like they deserve, then all the other nations are going to look and they're going to say, ah, God, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. And so God has this kind of, uh, has, has kind of two competing interests going on here. One is that he has an interest in holiness, an interest in justice. And if they keep choosing death, then that's what God has to do. But on the other hand, God has an interest in his people. He cares about them. He loves them. And also for the sake of his covenant and the sake of his name, he has uh, a lot of significance riding on the people of Israel, not dying. And so we see this, uh, this competing thing. But what we see throughout the history is that they keep on choosing Death, And I think a huge part of this is that they are ignoring the consequences of their sin. They don't believe that these prophets are serious. They've been given, I guess, too much grace. And what we see uh, throughout this is that they keep ignoring what Ezekiel is trying to tell them. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 24, they say, uh, it says, Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land... Keep saying, Abraham was only one man. 
Yet he got possession of the land. We are many. The land is surely given to us to possess. That they have this confidence. They're like, look, if Abraham was one man and he kept the land, surely God's not going to take the land away from us. And, And so they're not interested in listening to all these rebukes. We go back a little bit uh, to chapter 12 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 12, and here we see that the people of Israel, they have this proverb that effectively they're saying, look, Ezekiel keeps talking, but none of his words amount to anything. And Ezekiel chapter 12, starting in verse 21, it says, and the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel saying, the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are near, and the fulfillment of every vision. For there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I, will, I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. And we've got these, the people of Israel, and they're like, look, he's, he's not serious about this. This is, this is for far away. And God's like, no, I'm talking about like right now. This is happening. This is coming. You need to take my judgment seriously. And we see this, I think, uh, most uh, profoundly in chapter 7, where God says in chapter 7, verses 5 through 7, we're going to see him say about eight different times, look, I'm talking about now. In chapter 7, verses 5, thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster, behold, it comes. An end has come. The end has come. It is awakened against you. Behold, it comes. The doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near, a day of tumult and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. God says, listen, get this through your thick heads. The day of judgment is here. It's coming. You cannot avoid it any longer. It's happening. But the people of Israel, they don't listen. They don't hear that. And part of it, they've got false teachers prophesying to them in 13 verse 10. It says, precisely because they've misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, the prophets smear it with whitewash. That they have these false prophets who are saying, look, you know, there's this peace. This, everything's going to be fine. This, these people that they've gotten you know, carried off to Babel, this is just like a temporary thing. It's all going to pass. Everything's going to be good. Peace. And they've got these walls with cracks all over them. And they're like, yeah, just, just paint it again. You know, that, that'll solve the problem. And they're just covering up the problems. They're saying peace when there is no peace. And we hear in this, at least thematically, echoes of, I mean, the very first Uh, sin and temptation of Satan who says, you will not surely die. Listen, you know, God's not all serious about what he's saying. It's it's not not a big deal. You don't need to worry. There are no consequences for your actions. And God and Ezekiel and all the prophets are saying repeatedly, listen, if you continue down this path, it will lead to your ruin. And that is precisely what happens. It leads to their ruin. After years 
uh, of Ezekiel prophesying to the people and them not listening. Finally, the floodgates open and just like uh, in Noah's time before it was, uh, it was too late by the time they realized. In Ezekiel 33, we see Jerusalem being struck down and this is the resounding blow that makes them finally realize, oh man, he was serious the whole time. In Ezekiel 33, verse 21, it says, In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me uh, that evening before the fugitive came, and it opened my mouth by the time that the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was open, and I was no longer mute. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land, but we are many. The land is surely given to us to possess. We've already read that part, that the people were in denial. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat flesh with the blood, you lift up your eyes to idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword. You commit abominations and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field, I will give him to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and in the caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste and are proud. Uh, shall come to an end and the mountain of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I made the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations that they have committed. That finally the other shoe drops and people get the punishment that God has been withholding for so long. And they suddenly realize that they are in a terrible place. So much so that they are described in chapter 37, verse 11. Uh, it says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. That as they reflect on where they are, where all of their sin has led them, they sit down and they say, look, it's over. I mean, we're not just dead, but like, bones dried, dead, no hope. We are indeed cut off. This is over. Like, we messed up. Game over. It's done. They chose death, and that's what they got. But of course, we understand that's not exactly how God works, that we serve a God of life and of regeneration. And so even after they chose death, even after all of that, God gives them new life. If we're, now we find ourselves in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, God says, listen, you messed up so bad. Like, I, I can't even express to you how badly you messed up. And I kept trying to give you life, and you kept choosing death over and over again. I said, choose life. I said before you, life and death, choose life. God wants to give them life. His prophets are always telling the people, this is how you turn and choose life. They keep not doing that. So God says, okay, I'm going to bring you back to life, but things are going to be a little bit different this time. He says in chapter 36, verse 22, therefore, thus says, the, uh, thus Ah, sorry. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, 
Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you have come. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So we see that in sending Israel into captivity, two uh, important things have happened that have profaned the name of God. One is that Israel, uh, who represented God, they were his nation, they've been defeated. And that that brings uh, sadness and uh, like a, a dark mark on the God and his people. But the second thing is that Israel is terrible. I mean, we've seen that over and over again. And they're in the land, and they haven't changed from their abominations. They're still doing the terrible things that they were doing. And so God's holiness for the sake of his nation and God's holiness for the sake of the holiness of his people is being profaned. And God says, look, that's got to change. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your, uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my stature and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So we see God says, I'm going to do three important things. And all of these things have to do with life and death. So first we see God sprinkling them with clean water, which you are probably familiar with the fact that in the Old Testament and the law, there are a lot of places where you're sprinkling people with blood. Very few places where you're sprinkling someone with water, though. And one of those two places is when you have contact with a dead body. That In sprinkling the people with water, they're, they're being uh, cleansed from their uncleanliness that comes from contact with death. And also, uh, their uncleanliness, which is spiritual in nature, uh, that all these abominations that they have continued in that led them into death, God says, I'm going to wash that away. I'm going to wash away your, the, the contact with death. I'm going to wash away the death that's within you. You're going to be clean now. Then he says, I will give you a new heart. And an, uh, yes, I will give you a new heart. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. That previously, they had a heart of stone. So God says in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, you shall love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. And then we get to chapter 10, and God says, this is what I want. Love me with all of your heart and with all of your soul. That's what I want from you. And we get to chapter 30, and God says, choose life. And in both chapter 10 and chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, God says, here's what I want. I want a circumcised heart, a heart that is uh, soft, that is, uh, that is pliable for me, that you can dedicate to me. But what does Israel keep doing? They, they harden their hearts. They turn their hearts against God. They say, no, I, I don't want that. And so finally, after all of this hardening and hardening and hardening, their heart is, is dead. It's a solid block of stone. Nothing can be done. And so God says, look, you killed yourselves. Now I'm going to give you a new heart, a new heart that I can circumcise, that I can mold, that is not hard to me, but that is 
that is pliable and full of life and can do the things that your heart needs to do to give you life because you killed yourself and now I am giving you a new life. Finally, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we understand that what separates a corpse from a living person is the breath of life inside of them, the spirit. And God says, look, your spirit is dead, but I'm going to give you a new spirit. But this new spirit is not just any old spirit. It's my spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit within them. And that spirit will lead them in the way so that they will be obedient, that they will follow God's rules. So we see that God gives them New life, but it's new life on his terms. New life that is cleansed. New life that is pliable, open to him. New life that is willing to obey God's rules. And then we get this beautiful picture in chapter 37 that God gives new life to his people. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. Behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover your skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together and bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. That what we see here is a resurrection that represents a spiritual Resurrection, of course, also kind of foreshadows the physical bodily resurrection we will have one day. But what we see is that God's word, God's spirit, is what brings these bones back to life. This nation, it was, it was game over for them. And then God said, I will give you new life, a new spirit, my breath. I will call you and you will raise. And This is all a part of God's plan to give the people of Israel life and ultimately for us to give us life. I can go to a lot of places in the New Testament to tell tell you that this applies to us just as much as it applied to them, but I'm choosing to go to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Listen, we saw that God wanted to give the people the inheritance. He wanted to give them the land. And yet, they kept choosing the wrong choices. And so God said, I can't just give you the land if you're going to keep doing this. we gotta, we got to figure something out. And in the same way, in Ephesians chapter 1, we were told God had a great plan for his people. He wanted to give them an inheritance. He wanted them to be a holy, sanctified people. But there was a problem. They were dead. And just like Israel, who kept choosing death, who kept being given the choice, life and death, choose life, and yet they kept choosing death, so we were given so many opportunities in, earlier in our life to choose between life and death, and we know that every one of us chose death on a number of occasions until we were dead, until there was no hope for us. And that's what it says here in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen, we made choices in our life, and it was game over. Everything was done. We were dead. There was no hope. And yet, after all of that, God spoke to us through the, the washing of the water, through the new spirit, his spirit that he put within us, the new life, the word of God. It spoke to us. It rose us from the dead. And it says in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in, this, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And yet, God gave us life. He gave us new life. He regenerated us. He gave us a second chance. And yet, we still have the same choice as before. God still says, look, I set before you life and death. Choose life. And that call stands to all of us today. God has given us his rules. And whether we have been regenerated by the power of the Spirit or whether you are, are out there and you don't have that hope, whether you are still in your death, the choice still comes to you. Life or death, choose life. I know this sermon doesn't end an invitation. However, I would just like to encourage you today. If, if you're sitting out there and you say, look, I am sitting in death. I am dead bones. Please do not leave here this morning without having addressed that. God gives us a choice. Life and death. Choose life that you may live. We'll now be dismissed to class.